Amen. Thank you, Rupert and the band, as always. Excellent job. Well, welcome to Awaken, guys. It's a beautiful Wednesday here in Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, as Justin mentioned, my name is Jesse. If you haven't gotten to meet me before, uh, a little bit about myself. I'm a senior this year, so uh, I'm really close to graduating. Uh, starting to get excited about that. Uh, I'm on leadership here at first, uh, and I hope to be a pastor one day. And so it's a great privilege for me to get to get up here and speak in front of you guys. And I'm very thankful uh, to Justin for giving me that opportunity. Uh, if you were here last year, uh, I got to speak in February, and I guess I did well enough that I got asked to come back, or maybe it's just charity uh, at this point, but I'm here, and I hope to deliver a good message tonight. Uh, and so if, if you've been with us the past couple weeks, Justin's done a great job of talking through the book of Philippians, uh, and we finished Philippians chapter 1 last week, uh, and so we're going to be moving on to chapter 2 this week. If you want to go, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or, or pull it up on your phone. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And just to kind of lay the groundwork and kind of remind you where um, Paul is at when he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Uh, he's actually in prison, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, a church he loves, a church that's well established. And basically, he's just encouraging them. He's, he's pushing them onward in their pursuit of God. And so, uh, Paul's writing to them to encourage them, uh, mainly in pursuing Christ-likeness. And so he did that in a couple ways in chapter 1. Uh, he talks about evangelism. He talks about loving each other, which Justin touched on really well. And he talks about consistent Christian living. And then in chapter 2, Paul is going to shift his focus uh, to unity through humility. And unity in humility is the, is the title of the sermon tonight. Uh, and this is a very relevant passage for us today uh, because divisiveness is just something that's, that's rampant today in America's church. You know, we just had an election and politics divide the church and uh, arguments over petty doctrines and, and just small disagreements. Basically, people's egos get in the way of the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that unity is crucial to the church and that humility is the engine that drives the vehicle of unity forward. And so Paul is encouraging the Philippians to, to show their humility in three ways. And those are going to be our three points today. And those ways are a relationship with others, a recognition of the humility of Christ, and a remembrance of the gospel. A relationship with others, a recognition of the humility of Christ, and a remembrance of the gospel. So I'm going to read through the passage real quick, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, just thank you for tonight and this opportunity uh, to deliver your word, God. I pray that you would speak tonight and that even now before uh, we really get into the sermon, that, that you would humble us, God, that we would humbly approach your word and scripture, uh, longing to be taught and longing to grow closer to you, God. Uh, may that always be our pursuit, uh, loving you in humility, God. Uh, just thank you again for th- this opportunity and this night uh, and for this ministry. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so the first point. Unity and humility is accomplished through a relationship with others. So verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to a well-established church. And if you are a Christian, these things are a given. Paul's basically saying, because there is encouragement in being united with Christ, because there is comfort in his love, because there is participation in the Spirit, and because there is affection and sympathy in relationship with Christ, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So Paul was joyous to see all these traits in verse 1 displayed in the Philippians. He, he's urging them to, to live their life out. That's what he wanted in, in chapter 1. That's what he encourages them to do. And he's telling them now to complete his joy by being unified as a church through humility. Continuing verse 2, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. So believers are to love each other, and we're to have the same ambitions and desires. In, uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, and he gives a profound answer. First he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pretty obvious. And then the second, it, he says another is like it. Uh, and that commandment is, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, on these two things, all the law and prophets depend. And that's a, that's a huge deal. He's saying those two things, they're, they're two ideas that can't be separated. They're, they're co-substantial. And so if you're failing to love God, then you're failing to love people. And if you're failing to love people, then you're failing to love God. And so we see that love for God and a love for others are intertwined. You can't neglect one because then you're neglecting the other. And so loving one another is essential to unity. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That is not a suggestion. It's a command. That we're to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We're called not to feed ourselves selfishly. We're called not to get a stable job selfishly. We're called not even to sleep selfishly. Even the things that are necessary for us, we're not meant to do selfishly. This idea is kind of radical in a world that tells you that you need to do what's best for you and you need to do uh, what you deserve. Uh, but the idea of, of not being selfish is an idea we must wholly adopt if we are to be unified in humility. Continuing on, he says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you were looking for a definition of humility tonight, that's it right there. That's better than anything I could come up with. He says, 
Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in love, we are to be interested in the interests of others, just as if they're our own. We're supposed to celebrate each other's joys and triumphs as if we've experienced them ourselves. The biblical scholar Matthew Henry says it this way. He says, we must be severe upon our own faults and charitable in our judgment of others. Be quick in observing our own defects and infirmities, but ready to overlook and make favorable allowances for the defects of others. We must esteem the good which is in others above that which is in ourselves, for we best know our own unworthiness and imperfections. And when I think about this sacrificial love and putting one's interests or one, another's interests over one's own interests, uh, the relationship I think of is the parent-child relationship. Uh, and I've been very lucky to have two great parents that sacrificed a lot for me, who cared for me. Uh, and so there's a lot of examples I can give. Uh, but one kind of silly example that I think of uh, is from when I was a child. Um, do y'all remember the Nintendo DS? Y'all remember that thing? Like a little handheld video game? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that came out. I was like five or six probably. And me and my sister, we were like so excited. And we just had to have one. And so we were begging our parents. And I think it was that Christmas or maybe a birthday or something. We both ended up getting a DS. She got the blue one. I got the silver one. I wanted the blue one, but it's fine. Uh, We were just so excited to have them and to get to play them. And so we played them all the time. Like she was playing like Nintendogs or something. And then I was playing like, I don't know, all sorts of stuff. And we would just play them all the time. Uh, And then one day, something kind of strange happened. I came home, and my dad had a DS, which is like, if you know my dad at all, he's sitting right there. I mean, just look at him. Like, he's he's not, he's not, you are not hip. I'm sorry, Dad. (laughs) He's like, he's a man's man. He's like an old school kind of guy. And so to see him with a video game, like, handheld video game was just was just really kind of weird um but I I loved it I loved the fact that he had a DS like I literally you know he had the big dad recliner in the living room in front of the TV and he'd be playing his DS and I would literally like crawl on his lap and just watch him play DS and yeah I mean he would be playing like Tiger Woods pro golf (laughs) which is like the most dad like boring video game possible but like that's what he'd be playing and I'd like crawl up in his lap and watch him play, like, Tiger Woods Pro Golf, and then there would be, like, golf on the TV also, which didn't really make sense, but, but seriously, like, we spent a lot of time together doing that. It was something that uh, me and my dad could kind of relate to each other on when I was, like, five or six, um, and like I said, my dad wasn't really interested in video games. He didn't really care, but he knew me and my sister were interested in it, and so it became an interest of his, and it brought us um, some unity as a family. Uh, and it wasn't like me and my sister were returning the favor or anything. Like, we weren't sitting in the living room reading, like, books on World War II battles or something. Like, he did it, he did it without any reciprocation, and uh, it unified our family. It made us closer. Uh, and so Paul makes it clear that the Philippians must have an unselfish and sacrificial love for one another if they are to be unified. So unity and humility is accomplished through relationship with others. Second point, unity and humility is accomplished through a recognition of the humility of Christ. Unity and humility is accomplished through a recognition of the humility of Christ. 
Verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is now drawing the attention of the Philippians to Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of humility. Immediately when the Philippians would have read Jesus' name, just all those thoughts and emotions connected with Jesus and his sacrifice would have started flooding their brains. Verse 6, saying about Jesus, he says, Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. There's a lot to unpack there. And really, I could preach a whole sermon about those two verses. But the first thing I want to point out is this. And let me say this as plainly as I possibly can. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus says this about himself several times in the gospel. Uh, You can go and read through, and he says many things about uh, how he's God and how he came from the Father. One specific example was in John 10.30, where Jesus just emphatically proclaims, just like straight up. He says, I and the Father are one, meaning they're the same. They're the same being. And then scripture itself bears witness that Jesus is God over and over again. And I just have a few examples here. The first one is in Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, he, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Exact imprint means the exact same in essence, the exact same in body. Uh, John MacArthur explains the wording this way. He says, The sun is the perfect imprint, the exact representation of the nature and essence of God in time and space. So Jesus is God. The text also says that Christ upholds, that's present tense, so he's, he's still upholding. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just think about that for a second. Like, literally, this moment in space and time right now is perfectly balanced in all the laws of nature and science and physics and motion because Jesus right now is speaking, speaking and it's sustaining everything. I don't know any mere human capable of that. Jesus is God. Then one more example from Scripture. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. It says this. For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. And so there's a lot in that passage as well, but Jesus always has been. He was there in the beginning, and he always will be. Jesus was intimately involved in the creation process. He created everything, and everything was created for him. That is humility, that the God who created everything would become creation. There's nothing more humble than that. And I know the concept of Jesus being fully God and fully man is a really difficult thing to 
wrap our minds around. And to be honest, it's something that our finite human brains like can't really fully comprehend. Um, but something that it kind of makes me think of is that show, Undercover Bosses. Have you all seen that show? Yeah? So basically the premise is that like these top-level executives of a company, like a CEO or a COO, will go like undercover, they'll like wear a disguise, and they go and like work an entry-level position in their company to like find out all the problems and figure out what it's like uh, living a day in their shoes. So like for example, I think that like the first ever, ever episode was the CEO of uh, waste management, and so he went undercover, like put on a disguise and a wig and all that, and like went and worked like on the back of a trash truck, which is like obviously way below his, his pay grade and way below like what he's qualified for. Uh, and then I think there was also an episode with like Drew Brees maybe, because he like part owns walk-ons, and so like I don't know how Drew Brees goes undercover in Louisiana, because like he has to be the most famous person in Louisiana, especially after that game last Sunday. I mean, he, he destroyed the Buccaneers. But, uh, and so he, like, dressed up and, like, went and worked in, like, a walk-on's kitchen or something. And, uh, and so when the CEO of Waste Management, like, went and got on a trash truck, or, like, when Drew Brees went and worked in the kitchen of walk-on's, like, he didn't stop, like, cease to be Drew Brees. Like, he was still Drew Brees. He was still a Super Bowl winner. He still had all his, all his records. But he was also, like, working in the kitchen of a walk-ons, which is not normal for Drew Brees, but that's what he was doing. And, uh, and also, uh, you know, that's, that's, again, way below, like, what, it, what he's qualified for. He's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. He has all these records, yet, he, yet he's working in a kitchen. Uh, and so similarly, similarly, Jesus had all the greatness and glory of being God. But he came to earth, and he humbled himself, and, uh, and he humbled himself, and uh, like he experienced everything that, that we as humans experience. Hebrews says that uh, Jesus, because he was human, he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but without sin. Uh, and Jesus also uh, came to fix like all the problems and all the faults we have in the world. You know, the, the COO of, of Waste Management didn't know all the problems that his company had from the ground level, but Jesus knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew the problem with sin. He knew uh, the problems that he's faced, and he came anyway. And so Jesus was in the form of God, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so the theological term for this emptying is called the kenosis. It comes from that word empty in Greek is kenoa. Uh, but it's called the kenosis. Uh, and it's the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying. And it basically means that Christ willingly set aside certain privileges of deity, but he in no way emptied himself of deity nor exchanged his deity for humanity. So he wasn't human and then became God, and he wasn't God and then became human. He was human and God at the same time. And so, for example, Christ was hungry. He was thirsty. He got tired. Uh, when he walked around, he didn't outwardly display his inward glory. He didn't, he didn't radiate like a thousand suns. In fact, he had no form or majesty that we should behold him, is what Isaiah says. 
Uh, and he also did not act with the independent authority of deity, but he submitted himself to the will of God the Father. Um, but at the same time, Christ remained unlimited in his omniscience, meaning he was all-knowing. Uh, when he has a conversation with the woman at the well, she runs into the village and says, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. He knew everything still. And he didn't trade in his omnipotence. He was still all-powerful. He raised the dead. He calmed the winds and the seas. He turned water into, into wine. He did all these miracles when he was here on earth in flesh. And he's timeless. He was at the beginning, and he'll... Well, there's no end, but he's all, he always has been and he always will be. And so that is the, that is the deity that came to be, to be one of us, to be a human, to be flesh. That is humility. Paul is showing the Philippians that Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of humility. And his humility is something that we as Christians should strive for. If we are to be unified as believers... We must be humble as Christ was humbled. So unity and humility is accomplished through the recognition of the humility of Christ. And last point, my third point. Unity and humility is accomplished through a remembrance of the gospel. Unity and humility is accomplished through remembrance of the gospel. And so the humility of Christ, if you take it out of all the context of him dying on the cross and, and all those things, if you just... Take the fact that God became human. It begs the question, why? Why would, why would God become human? It doesn't really make sense just at, at face value. Well, Scripture in verse 8 uh, gives us some insight. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this was the purpose of Christ coming and taking on flesh. And this was the will of God the Father that Jesus submitted himself to when he came to live on earth. And so the reason that Christ became human was because only through his blood could sinful humans be reconciled to a holy God. Christ was humbled to death by the most excruciating means possible, and he bore the full wrath of God. And so he didn't just leave heaven and come and live on earth. No, he left heaven lived on earth, and died. And he didn't just die. He was beaten and mocked and tortured and died what is probably the most excruciating death you could probably die. And he didn't just die the most excruciating death you could probably die. He took on the full wrath of God for sin, for us. That is why Jesus came. And that idea should bring us so low. Paul elaborates on this fact in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors to Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Again, there's a lot there, but what I want you to see is that only through the death of Christ could our sin be covered. Again, that idea should bring us so low. Since Christ humbled himself for us, how much more should we obey what he commands us to do in Scripture? And since Christ humbled himself for us, how much more should we humble ourselves before others? How much more should we sacrifice for others? If humility was a key part of the process of reconciliation between a holy God and sinful man, then certainly humility must be a key part in the reconciliation of the church and in between believers. And not only that, but the cross of Christ is a glaring reminder that we cannot earn our own salvation. We aren't good enough on our own. We can't do enough good things to earn our way into heaven. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We must humble ourselves in recognition of the fact that without Christ, we cannot be considered righteous. And so Paul is drawing the attentions of the Philippians to the cross because when we as Christians are focused on the cross, we cannot help but be humble because of what Christ has done for us. So since Christ willingly sacrificed himself for us, how can we not sacrifice our time and energy for others? A remembrance of the gospel is crucial to unity and humility. So Rupert, if y'all want to go ahead and, and start coming up in the band, uh, Paul is clear that unity is accomplished through humility in the church. If we are to survive and thrive as a ministry, we have to forget about petty arguments. We have to forget about who's right and who's wrong. If you're a Christian here tonight, practice forgiveness this week. Practice being slow to anger this week. Practice putting other people's interests before your own. And if you're here tonight and you've never humbled yourself before God in recognition that you are utterly hopeless without him, you can do that tonight. You know, there's no special formula or, or special secret saying that you have to say. You just have to humble yourself in recognition that you cannot own, earn your own salvation. But if you will humbly submit to Christ and put his life in your, your life in his hands, like he will save you. If that's you tonight, I'll be down front. Some of the leadership will be down front. We would love to talk to you about that. Um, but seriously, guys, humility is crucial if we're to be unified as a ministry, as a church, if we're to be unified with other people in general. Uh, so please, let's remember to be humble. I'll pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and uh, just for this time that we get to be here tonight together. God, I pray that you will humble us, that we will never, ever forget what you did for us on the cross, God, and that the idea of you dying on the cross for us would bring us humility time and time again. God, I pray that... <clears throat> that throughout the rest of this week, throughout the rest of this school year, First College would be characterized by humility and love for one another. And Senior, I pray. Amen.